Hey, pal. We're live, pals. Welcome to the second episode of Hey, Pal. I'm Coachable. Um, just want to start things off. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in again and tuning in the first time as well. Um, really appreciate uh, any feedback I've got so far, all the listens. Um, yeah, it really is um, a humbling thing to see so many people enjoying what we did uh, last week and, and hopefully continuing to enjoy what we do this week and um, going forward. Obviously, last week's story uh, or interview, as it should be, with Chloe Forster uh, from the Perth Lynx uh, really touched a, a lot of different people there in terms of um, you know how how cool her journey is and her story is um, from that fateful phone call, as it were, to now being a fully fledged elite pro basketballer here in Australia. So it was great to listen to her insight and also a little bit of a, a glimpse in terms of that that work ethic and that attitude and that determination that you need to make it and uh, really appreciative of Chloe's time and uh, appreciative of any feedback uh, that has come through as well. Um, a lot of people really dug Chloe's story. With that in mind, if you do have any feedback, please drop us a DM in any of the socials, whether that's Instagram, on X, Twitter, X, whatever, um, or even on the Facebook page. Also have the Gmail accounts for any of that electronic mail you want to shoot through to us. It's heypalimmailable at gmail.com. On today's episode, we're very fortunate to be joined by a Paralympian. And then just when you say that, it's it's what you marvel at in terms of athletes, in terms of when you're growing up, you go, geez, these Olympians, they're the best of the best representing their, their nations. So... Uh, I won't jibber-jabber too much here in the intro. Um, it's an amazing interview, an enthralling listen. So uh, we'll, jive, we'll jive? We'll jive. Let's jive. I don't know if we're going to put a bit of a music in the background there. But we'll also jive and dive straight back into it. And after the interview, we'll have our latest edition of Help Me to Help Me. So without further ado, let's take a listen to our guest. So my guest this week, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I'm really excited about this. Obviously, we had a, an elite athlete last week um, in terms of the WNBL, and now we have an elite athlete, but we've gone even higher than the National Basketball Association, so to speak. We've gone to an Olympian, a Paralympian at that. We've got para badminton absolute superstar. I've been lucky enough to know him for many, many years through cricketing commitments, uh, which we'll touch on, but uh, this is a man who's... Uh, Going to the Oceanics, going to um, Tokyo, which is going to be an interesting experience in itself. But I've got para badminton champion Grant Manzoni. Grant, hey pal. Hello, how are you going? I'm going well, thanks, uh, and I appreciate your time. Uh, we we're just quickly chatting before we got going. It's a busy time for you, so I appreciate um, carving out a little bit of spot in the schedule here. Um, and uh, as I mentioned to you, this is. Uh, exciting for me because the, the whole point of our show here on Hey Pal, I'm Coachable is for me to just learn about things I've got no idea about. And uh, I think I cheated a little bit with the basketball commentary. I knew a bit about Chloe's story, but um, with yourself, I think I'm going to learn a lot about, I guess, um, you know, pathways and, and how you get involved and how you become, I guess, an Olympian just uh, uh, representing your country on the grandest stage, which is so exciting. 
Absolutely. Look, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exciting for me to um, hopefully uh, educate you a little bit. And uh, yeah, hopefully you learn a lot. Definitely. Yeah, hopefully I learn hopefully all of our uh, listenership, which uh, is a bit of a dated term, but yeah, our listenership gets a, um, get a bit, uh, gets some education along the way as well. Um, but I'll, I'll let you set the scene first, Grant, um, in terms of, uh, you know, obviously uh, being a Paralympian, um, you're born with some physical challenges. So I'm just going to sort of lay out for a moment here and just let you set the scene in terms of um, sort of what you had to deal, uh, deal with growing up and, and sort of, you know, ongoing there throughout your life. Sure. So, yeah, I was born uh, missing most of my right leg, at, um, which uh, and also uh, missing a whole heap of bones in my left leg, um, pretty much most, most of my um, ankle bones and foot bones, but uh, particularly missing the fibula, um, which is obviously one, one of the two main bones running through your legs. So it, it caused a condition in my left foot fairly similar to club foot where uh, your ankle and, and foot is quite deformed. And I had a number of surgeries, I think when I was, you know, quite young, uh, baby, uh, to toddler through, to try and correct, uh, the foot, um, to get it into a, a walkable sort of position, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, back in those days, um, it probably, the technology probably wasn't quite as good as it is now. So, uh, but I, look, I was lucky enough, um, that they were able to get it uh, good enough that I could walk on it uh, without too much trouble. Um, so for me, I think, uh, look, it was quite challenging, but I think I was probably lucky in a way that, uh, well, I've always considered myself lucky in a way that I was born with that condition because it, I never, I, I didn't know any different um, rather than, you know, I think if you sort of have that trauma later in life uh, where you, you know, may have an accident or something, lose a limb uh, through something, through an illness or injury, I think that would you know, probably be a whole lot harder. So for me, growing up, it was very much just what I knew. Um, you know, I think uh, the challenges probably, again, in those days, the technology uh, with prosthetic limbs uh, was nowhere near it is now where, you know, you've got, you've got computerised um, components which almost do the walking for you. Uh, those days, it was still very much, um, you know, wooden leg sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but look, I, you know, as, as a kid, I, I, you know, my parents, I owe a lot to my parents. They, um, you know, really brought me up, letting me try and do anything that I wanted to do and try and achieve anything that I wanted to try and achieve. You know, they didn't sort of wrap me in cotton wool. They just sort of threw me out into the world and said, look, you know, you've got to learn, do it. And, you know, they threw me on a put on a, on a bike when I was young, taught me how to ride a bike. And, and even when I come off the bike a million and one times and, uh, you know, nearly killed myself. <laughs> um, yeah. uh -huh. they, they just throw me back, you know, clean me up and throw me back on it and um, say, get out there again. So, yeah, look, I think I think the main sort of challenges obviously were, um, you know, trying to keep up with other kids. Uh, you know, I, I didn't let the disability sort of slow me down in any way, shape or form. But I think the older I got, the more I started to realise, uh, especially playing sports, uh, you know, I tried to play um you know, say football and, and things like that. And, you know, I just couldn't run as fast as other kids and um, couldn't kick the ball as well. And, and sort of, so those, those, those limitations um, really shone through, which I think as a kid, you kind of, you know, you're disappointed and frustrated and, and it probably gets to you a little bit. And, um, but I think that the sort of older I got, the more I realized that I would look for other avenues of sports that I could try and excel in. Um, you know, perhaps that, that wouldn't sort of, or, or that my disability wouldn't 
cause such a limitation too. So, um, so yeah, I sort of gravitated to um, other sports. But yeah, look, I was I was just a typical Australian kid. Loved footy and cricket, and um, you know, getting out there on on a on a Saturday Sunday afternoon, uh, kicking a ball or, or hitting a cricket ball around, and um, and just doing whatever I could do, trying to be a normal kid. So uh, you know, I think um, look nowadays, I think it's probably there's a much greater um, I guess education around disability is a lot greater nowadays and there's probably uh, kids are a lot more or well, people in general are a lot more accepting uh, nowadays I think with people with disabilities and um, so in those days you know you, there was probably a bit of teasing and a bit of bullying that went on but I was uh, lucky enough that I was always a pretty big kid as well for my age so um, you know if if I got teased or anything like that that didn't last too long once I got hold of them so <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I mean, skipping forward a bit. I mean, I've seen you, seen you playing um, your para badminton, and you know, you're you're a solid enough unit. I still wouldn't mess with you. So I, I, I fear for those kids when you were younger who might have um, done something stupid, like um, I guess bully or tease you or anything like that. Um, yeah. But growing yeah. up, yeah, they, you know, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah. Basically, they'd, they'd tease me once, and then. Um, if I couldn't catch them, one of my friends would catch them, and then that'd be it. So <laughs> there's a system in but, place, uh, and they could absolutely, run. yeah. But but no, look, all in all, I, I had a really good childhood. Um, you know, my parents were absolutely fantastic and really big supporters of me. So uh, you know, I, I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's it. We we did speak last week as well, just how important um, parents are about you know not just you growing up, but you know when you do start to get into sports and things like that. So. Um, it's great to hear, obviously, you know, part of the course that we've got great supports for yourself there and your parents growing up. Um, when you were growing up there and, and sort of what sort of drew you to, to sports as a kid, you know, uh, was there any particular athletes or teams that really got you you know, the sports bug when you were younger? Yeah, probably. Look, I think my first sport love was was cricket, you know, as a kid. Um, growing up in the 70s, you, you would watch uh, cricket on TV and and you know, Lily Marsh, the Chapels, uh, you know, Greg Chappell was my favourite batsman. Um, you know, just watching those teams, you know, the West Indian teams, uh, yeah. you know, com coming into World Series cricket and all that. So, you know, I was I was lucky enough to live through that whole period of cricket, you know, glory back in the 70s, I think. Yeah. And that's what really drew me, I think, to probably cricket um, as, as my first sort of real love uh, as a sport. Uh, you know, it's probably the sport that I remember playing at, my, at the earliest age. Um, but then also football as well. You know, I was I was a massive uh, football fan. Um, my, you know, my mum was was an avid football follower as well. So every Saturday we would. Uh, I, I lived in a suburb called Swanview, so yeah. we were massive um, fans of Swan Districts in the WAFL. And um, again, I think you know, in the early '80s when they had their hat trick of premierships in '82, '83, '84, I was. Uh, there for all of really, them. Yeah, look, it was, it was, without yeah, just coming in, <laughs> <laughs> just coming into high school, and um, you know, being able to go through, you know, that hat trick of premierships. Yeah. Uh, and and back in those days, WAFL was, you know, VFL was still a, you know, on the other side of the country. So mm. um, for me, you know, they, they were my heroes. Were were the were the Swanee players, and um, you know, just just being able to live through those times, the, the glory days of WA football. Uh, when they'd get forty-five, you know, to fifty thousand at a at a WA premier uh, at a grand final, and that was just um, fantastic. So I, th I think that, that were the two main sort of 
um, drivers for me. Uh, you know, again, like I said, I was I was a typical Aussie kid. Loved loved his cricket and loved his footy. Um, but that was initially that was probably you know the Swan Districts team was the team that really I followed uh, religiously almost where we would go week in week out either to Bassendine Oval or as far away as Fremantle Oval which was <laughs> which was way and um, yeah you know that that was just it was just fantastic times back then um, but then as you know as um, as footy evolved uh, you know once the uh, West Coast Eagles um, got into the uh, AFL as we have it now then um, obviously I sort of became an Eagles fan and uh, still am to this day. Well, look, I know you're a guest on the show, but I'm still a little bit sore about uh, the Eagles beating the Bulldogs this year and pretty much kicking us out of the finals race. So um, I appreciate you needing to bring that up as a proud West Coast fan, but we'll, we'll move away from football as a perfect segue. Um, I, I think abso- absolutely. Although although I will say that I, I watched the um, game last night and uh, I'm on the, bull- I'm on the uh, Blues bandwagon just for this season. <laughs> it's hard not to get swept up. But, but it, the weird thing it is, is to, to, to digress, I mean, um, for for I guess guys of uh, your age and, and even my generation as well, you, you used to um, um, Carlton being a powerhouse like back in the day. So like back in the day, you'd be like, I don't want Carlton to be successful, but it's been a very long time, and it's weird to think of Carlton as an underdog, doesn't it? It it is. It's um, you know it's strange, and you know normally like, like you say, you wouldn't you wouldn't be sort of backing them, but I think. Uh, like like most people, you know, you love the underdog story, and um, you, you know, I remember Paralympic year coming home from uh, two weeks in isolation in Melbourne after the Paralympics, and there were a whole heap of Melbourne supporters on the plane coming over to uh, watch the grand final over here. And what are you um, doing to me, Grant? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I completely forgot, Eric. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, again, sorry, yeah, sorry that the Eagles beat the, the the Bulldogs, but let's talk about when you watched <laughs> them live and was crying because of that Optus Stadium that I hate. Um, but you're right; it's the underdog. <laughs> it's hard not to to jump on board. Um, around that time, going back to the the hat trick of premierships um, in the waffle. Around that time, you got mm. into ten pin bowling as well from from around the age ten. Um, tell us a bit how you you got involved with that, and and so you, you stuck with that for quite a while as well. Yeah, so I probably started that when I was about 10 years old. I remember up in uh, Midland, they opened a 10-pin bowling centre um, and it was my first introduction to 10-pin bowling. I'd, I'd, I'd barely even seen it on TV or anything like that, to be honest. And my dad just uh, took me down one night and said, oh, there's a bowling centre opened up. Do you want to come down and give it a go? And I remember going down and um, the first thing that struck me was I couldn't find a bowling ball in the entire centre to fit my hands because as a 10-year-old, I had pretty big hands for a kid. So <laughs> my uh, my fingers and thumb wouldn't fit in any of the bowling balls. So I had to get a heavier one than what I would, would you should normally use, um, yeah. which was a bit difficult. But yeah, just from that moment, just just trying that for the first time, I absolutely loved it. And um, I kept we sort of kept going on a regular basis. And then my dad sort of enrolled me into a, a junior league, which, uh, you know, is just a once a week sort of competitive bowling um bowling club and uh you know the, the bug sort of bit me from there I, I just started going more often and yeah a couple of years practice by the time I was sort of 12 I guess I was starting to get pretty good at it um and it was something that I think again getting back to a sport that my disability wouldn't sort of hamper at all it was something that oh, okay I probably didn't have the greatest most fluent footwork of, of, of all but 
I was able to manage with it and still adapt to, um, you know, sort of doing a normal sort of run up. Um, although I did bowl off the wrong foot being a, you should bowl off your opposite foot to what your hand is, but I was a left-hander and I bowled off my left foot because I just couldn't get the right one um, in front to bowl off. Yeah. So, but it's, it seemed to work and, um, yeah, it just, it just went from there and I really, uh, you know, I, I sort of stopped by that, by that age as well. I think, you know, playing, um, footy, I played junior footy, but just by that age, you know, the kids were getting bigger and, and taller and, um, uh, you know, faster and, and, and I, and I just couldn't keep up. So, uh, for me to, to experience a sport like that, uh, which, you know, I'd never sort of experienced before and, um, that I was able to start getting quite good at, yeah. uh, was really exciting for me. So I, I just kept going and, you know, by the time I was sort of 14 or 15, I think I was, um, I was playing in state teams. Uh, yeah, I was bowling sort of four or five nights a week, uh, bowling in adult leagues as well. So I was, you know, bowling, bowling as well, if not better than a lot of, a lot of the adults were. So, uh, we, we did a lot, I just got into a lot of training and, um, yeah, just, just bowled and bowled and bowled as much as possible. You know, the bowling center sort of become my second home. Yep. Um, and, and I put, look, I, put, I think I did that for probably around about 10 years. Um, and then I think it just, I just got a little bit bored of it and, um, you know, uh, found found sort of other things to do, and as most sort of uh, kids do, once they hit that, <laughs> yeah, once you're a young adult, like like we know with cricket, uh, oh, yeah. you know, once you know you can have the most talented cricketer, but once he hits sort of 17, 18, 19, they they find other other pleasures in life, other things to do, and um, move on. Uh, and and I think that's what happened was it just my life moved into a, a different phase, and I sort of left the left the bowling behind. And I think because I'd done so much of it, it just it had almost become a bit of a chore yeah. um, that I that I wasn't really enjoying it as much. Um, but in saying that, it, it's it's funny, you know. I, I watch a lot of the professional bowling now uh, on YouTube. They have a lot of the yeah PBA tournaments that I watch, and um, yeah, especially with um, Jason Belmonte, the Aussie guy, who's probably you know one of the world's world's best bowlers. Uh, yeah, I love watching it, and it's something that uh, you know my wife quite often asks me. Uh, would you like to go back to bowling? And I said, yeah, I'd, it's something that I'd like to go back to, but I just, I wouldn't be able to do it uh, physically now. So I've, I've yeah. looked into uh, wheelchair bowling and things like that, which is quite big in the US, but it's it's um, unfortunately not a, not a thing as such here. But yeah, I think one day I might just sort of venture down to the bowling centre and uh, try it out in the, in the chair and see how it goes. Well, let's fast forward a little bit there. Um, we you know, we touched on it a little bit in our conversation uh, so far and off air as well. Uh, in fact, we probably chewed up each other's ears and spent a lot of time that I was uh, stealing of yours talking cricket beforehand. But um, around your early thirties, um, you got involved in uh, cricket at the uh, the I guess the the local level um, with Crids Rocks. Um, so. And this is where you know I've been fortunate enough to to meet you, and um, even before all of your your recently success, your recent successes. But um, tell us about your cricket, how you got involved with it, any sort of great memories or stories, because I uh, I know that you know haven't come against you in the uh, on the cricket field. You're a very proud cricketer, very good cricketer, um, and I I I don't don't chuckle. I you know. I, I do I do recall stories of the first time uh, we we played against you, and I you know I don't say this in a, a sort of a derogatory term, but you're going okay. How do we approach this? And you're just like ball as fast as you can, 
explaining it deleted. Um, but um, <laughs> and and just to see how you dispatch some of our best ballers, just like it was nothing. But I digress. This is about you. And just tell me a bit about your time at Queens and um, yeah, your, your cricketing life there in, in that club. Sure. Yeah. Look. I, yeah. I got back into cricket. Uh, like you said, back in in, in my thirties and. Uh, it was something I'd never really thought of doing. Um, I had a couple of mates who, uh, good good friends who played for Quinns at the time. And uh, we used to just go down to the nets and have a bit of a hit. And, um, you know, I think they could see that I had fairly good hand-eye coordination and, you know, good bat okay and, uh, you know, trundled in and bowled, bowled well enough. And, um, th- you know, they both just invited me to come down and have a game. And I said, well, well, look, I can't run. <laughs> I can't run between wickets, you know. It's yeah. um, and they said, no, no, that's fine. We'll we'll see if um you can get a have a runner. Um, so I said, look, oh yeah, if, if you can, you know, not thinking much of it. Uh, and then one one of them had actually taken gone to the club and said, look, we've got this guy who's um you know who's, who's got one leg and he's keen to have a game of cricket. Um, and I, and at the time, I think yeah, Quinn's only had three sides and they were struggling a little bit for numbers and you know the the. Uh, committee were good enough to sort of say, yeah, why not? Let's let's get him down and, and give him a go. And uh, it was then taken to the association, and I think the, you know the association were on board with it and said, yeah, why not? Um, you know, they, at first they probably um, hadn't encountered something like that before. It was probably a strange question for them, but uh, you know they were great. They said, yeah, why not? And so I was I was kind of a little bit sheepish to be honest because I was a bit embarrassed at first that uh, you know have to get somebody to run for me or anything like that and I said look I can you know stand out in the field all day it's just just running between wickets is um you know obviously uh there's not going to be any quick singles or anything like that so uh uh so yeah I, I went down and and um thought oh this will be easy and um yeah certainly got found out when I initially started uh you know my first few net sessions were you know were quite uh average uh to say the <laughs> least and um it was certainly a different um you know, going from from hitting a few balls around in the nets to suddenly getting out in the middle for my first couple of games, and I think uh, at the at the time my first season, the uh, Quinns' top grade was E grade. So, uh, you yeah. know, the introduction was against some you know pretty pretty sharp bowlers and and, yeah. and that. So uh, it, initially, it was uh, it was a bit of a tough introduction, but uh, so it took me probably a season or two really to adapt. And uh, you know, look, I was it, it, I was really you know, hungry to to succeed and, and do well. And I think, um, you know, I think there's obviously there's always that initial, um, I guess, I guess there's always those those guys who are sort of, oh, what's this guy doing here? He can't play, he can't run, he can't do this. And, you know, you're always going to get that. And, and I think that sort of just drives you to really uh, try hard and, and succeed. So, you know, I, I was always... I remember in those early days, I was always the first one at training and the last one to leave. So I would just work hard and hard and hard and, um, you know, just to try and improve my skill uh, because I knew I'd, you know, really to uh, to succeed, I, I would have to sort of work twice as hard as any, as anybody. So um, that that was the plan and, and, it, and it all sort of started to come together. And I think once, once I, you know, my, my second season, um, the captain I had out, he really sort of put some confidence in me and gave me a go and, um, you know, bowled me a bit. And, um, you know, I started taking wickets and scoring a few runs. And I, I think you just needed those first uh, those first few bits of success where where you get those first couple of wickets or, you know, you make your first 20 or so and you think, oh, look, look, I can do this. I, you know, I, I do belong here and I can do this. And 
and it kind of just went from there. I, I, you know, I, again, I just I was at every training session working working my backside off just to try and get better. Uh, you know, going down the bowling machine. Um, you know, and working for hours uh, just on improving my technique uh, and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, look, it just went from there, and uh, I ended up having you know a relatively successful um, career at Quinns. Um, you know, I played. I think I played for about 14 seasons. I think I ended up with about 270 odd wickets um, yeah. at an average of about 14, which I think is pretty good for a little left arm spinner. <laughs> very, very <laughs> and, good. That's yeah, yeah, fourteen. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you obviously definitely. haven't had to play at Ellisdale too much, but uh, as a spinner. But <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I think I played at Ellisdale twice, and um, it's not a pleasant place. Yeah, for I was a probably great yeah <laughs> lucky. Lucky enough that I didn't get pasted uh, over the road. Like I've seen some people go for at that ground, but uh, um, yeah, look, look, I was very fortunate. It was just, it was such a wonderful time. Uh, you know, the the memories, just the camaraderie. You know, being out on the on the field with ten other blokes every Saturday, having a laugh. Uh, you know, and that that was the main thing about that sort of level cricket was that yeah, sure it was competitive, but you also out there just to have a laugh and and to you know really, uh, you know just take the mickey out of your own teammates and yeah. and um you know and the opposition a little bit and uh and that sort of thing and and just i, I met so many good people not not just from Queens, you know I, I met lifelong friends at Queens, but also from other clubs as well you know like yourself and you know just so many people that i played against and and we just had that mutual respect and uh you know it, it was so nice to be able to gain that respect i think i think you know and that's something that i, I think has always been important for me and you know, having that disability is you, you just, you feel like you need to sort of, you know, which is probably the wrong way to put it, but you, you, you kind of, um, you know, really try and gain people's respect, not just for people to say, oh, look, you know, oh, this guy's having a go. That's really good. But yeah. oh, look, this guy's got the disability, but geez, he's, he's not bad as well. You know, that's, so I, I think, you, you know, I really, really looked for that as well. And, and, and to get that off so many people was just so good, but Look, you know, I, I was made a captain of of one of the teams. You know, I captained a team for probably four or five seasons, which was just a huge, huge honour yeah. um, to have been thought thought of in that light. That um, that you know that the club would would sort of put me in charge of a team, uh, but also uh, as as captain, I won a one day flag, uh, which was fantastic. And then as I was a vice captain on the team, which won a two day flag. So yeah. for me. Just to win those two flags, uh, you know, with with your teammates is something that you'll never forget. And you know, I got I got a lot of uh, individual um, sort of awards, you know, sort of grade champion awards and bowling awards and things like that. But you know, it it, it all pales into insignificance with those two premiership medallions, which uh, you know, which are the sort of proudest probably moments of my cricketing career, to be honest. And um, I think, uh, you know, getting to the stage where I was able to go out and open the batting in my last sort of three or four seasons, yeah. um, you know, which for me was probably the best position with the lack of footwork, the ball coming on was, was <laughs> amen. yeah. Amen, amen. <laughs> Don't tell anyone my secret, but amen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and at my height, you know, playing on um, AstroTurf, uh, anything yes. just, sh just short of a length sort of sat up and said, pull me or cut me. So, uh, yeah, yeah I was, you know, at my height, um, you know, I was very good. Uh, square of the wicket player for sure and um you know the ball coming on to the bat was was much better for me so that's you know i i, I found uh, again that was to adapt 
you know, I had to find a way to adapt to the sort of different bowling styles. And and so for me, finding out that, okay, the ball coming on a bit quicker was actually better for me because I didn't, yeah. I guess I didn't have to have as as good a footwork or, or as, you know, as trying to get out to a, a spinner. And, and so I struggled a bit more against, um, you know, slower bowling, whereas the the brand new ball, ball coming on, I was able just to use the pace of the ball to, um, you know, to work the ball around. So, yeah, I think, look, you know, all in all, um, it was just, it was a magical time. Uh, you know, it, it was cut short a bit, I think. Um, for me, I, I probably would have still kept going a few more seasons, but uh, my left leg just got to the point where it had sort of said enough's enough. Um, you know, I, I would I would go play cricket on a Saturday and then struggle to walk for the next three days. So yeah. uh, I think I think it just got to the point where it said, no, nah, I've had enough. And um, I was sort of forced forced into an early retirement, which I guess most of us are at some point <laughs> in time. You know, you always say one more season, one more season. And then uh, it just, yeah, it just said, no, nah, that, that's it. So I, I had to give up. But look, you know, going back, uh, no regrets fantastic memories you know plenty of funny stories just too many stories to tell uh you know funny moments on the field that uh you know to this day i still remember and you know just some of the things that were said that uh you know that it just had you in fits of laughter um you know it was just just a fantastic time definitely and and you know my my thanks you know eternal thanks to Queen's Rocks Cricket Club for for giving me a go and um you know i became a life member of the cricket club which was uh you know, which was just such an honour to be a life member of, of Queen's is, uh, yeah. So, and I, and I still go down and follow the boys from time to time as well. Yeah. Uh, I just want to cycle back to something because we're starting to get into that, uh, that time where, you know, you're about to transition into, um, you know, badminton. But I just want to quickly cycle back. Firstly, yeah, it's, it is a shame that, you know, that retirement was forced. Um, it's a running joke with my mates and at my club that I retired for a grand total of nine rounds. Um, but, <laughs> Um, I've got niggles, but then, you know, nowhere near what I was carrying on like a pork chop. But my old man, he's a wise man. He said, uh, you should keep playing it whilst you can, because you don't know when you won't be able to. So I just, yeah. you know, I found there was a, you know, a bit of a, you know, unfortunate parallel with that, but just want to cycle back. Um, you mentioned there earning that respect. And then before you mentioned also, uh, for want of a better term, I guess I, I call them the idiots who go, oh, what's he doing out here? Blah, blah, blah. Do you find mm. earning that respect or trying to, I guess, for one of a better terms, you know, uh, channel with EJ Winnen stuck to stick it right up them. Is that your motivation, or or do you find motivation in different ways when you're taking any sort of sporting field, be it cricket, be it badminton, what, whatever it may be? Yeah, look, I think I think my main motivation is obviously just to try and be the best that I can possibly be. But I, I, you, you, you're right. I think um, when you are in a position where you, you know you're on the back foot from the start because you've got something like a dis, you know something disability which is holding you back, I, I think there's always going to be well for me anyway. There was always that not so, not so much just to stick it up them or anything like that, but I guess yeah to, to prove people wrong and and um, you know like you say you're always going to get the naysayers who say oh what's he doing here? You can't run you know or he can't do this or can't do that. So for me. Um, you know, say you'd have somebody say, oh, where am I going to put him in the field? He can't run after the ball or anything like that. So my answer was, okay, throw me in the slips and I'll, and I'll catch anything that comes to me. And, um, you know, I was I was blessed with huge hands and um, the ability to catch a ball. So, you know, at first or second slip, I was you know, almost impassable. I, I took so many catches. So for me... Yep, you sure did. I think I've been a victim to your catching. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks to the captain yeah, who no. stuck you there. 
<laughs> but um, you know, it that's the thing. It, it was just to try and prove your worth to the team and 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 prove that uh, you were uh, you know you were worthy of of having that place. And um, you know, I think uh, you know to and 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 then bowling as well. You know, just rather than come on for a token bowl, you know, just to practice your bowling craft so much that you're then you come on as a strike bowler or somebody who can break a partnership or, okay, yep, I'm going to use you for eight overs in that one day match to, to tie up that end or, or get a couple of wickets, you know? And, and so for me, it was, yeah, not, not about wanting to just, um, you know, just be okay. I wanted to be good and, and wanted to be a, 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 I guess a member of the team that was chosen on merit, not just, okay, well, yeah, we'll give him a go and pick him at 11 or something like that. And, yeah. you know, no, we'll pick you. And, and I think, you know, probably um, one of the things that really sort of struck me as well was that, uh, you know, I would, I would sort of start off in those lowest grades, but then I was actually got picked to play as high as um, D grade. I think, I think I played D grade for half a season, um, which was probably due to um, the club being short on some spin balls at the time. But, uh, but again, you know, but again, I, then you, you put than... yourself in that position as being the, the best available spinner. By, That's the thing. Yeah, I think and, I, I, and what you've done, yeah, yeah. I, I think I had been playing a few games of E grade that season, and then and took a five for, and um, and then suddenly got picked up in up into D grade. So, you know, for me to play not just in the lowest grades, but right up and as high as D grade, and I think I was almost on the verge of C grade at, at one stage, which would have been um, quite funny. But you know, it, it was that sort of a challenge, which was presented to me and, and rather than going, I don't want to play this too high for me or too scary or anything like that. It was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll play there. And, um, you know, whilst obviously it got tougher and tougher, the higher you went up in grades, it was, it was a challenge for me and it was something that I would sort of, you know, take with open arms. So I guess, I guess you're right. There's, there's a little bit of motivation to say to those guys who say, you know, oh, he shouldn't be here. He can't play or he can't do this or, uh, you know, and, and I think you get that your whole life where people sort of look at you and say, Oh, you can't do that properly, or you can't do this properly. You you want to prove those people wrong, but I, I think um, there's kind of a, I don't know, for one of a better word, there's a bit of a hollow satisfaction in that. Is that when when you do achieve that sort of success and prove those people wrong, it, it you you kind of think about it and go, well, it's not not really the real reason I did it. The real reason was I just wanted wanted to be good, and I and I wanted to be as good as I could possibly be, and. Um, uh, you know, that's, I think that was the sort of overriding motivation in it all was just to be, um, you know, just to be the best you could possibly be at something. So we've talked about uh, the playing side of things um, when it comes to cricket at Queen's Rocks, but um, pretty early on in the piece as well, you took on the role for the entire association, the NSCCA, um, as the registrar, uh, which uh, is a pretty thankless task. And uh, <laughs> you, you probably had an idea of that when you took on the role, but probably a finer appreciation for how much work's involved and you won't always keep everyone happy. Um, how's that come about that you, you put your hand up to be the, the registrar and, and sort of what's that involved being in, uh, part of the admin side of it as well for a whole competition? Yeah, so that started off um, a bit by chance. I'd, I'd been on the committee at Quinn's and done the registrar's job and, and the treasurer's job. Um, and then I was approached uh, by uh, Tim Park, who was the uh, who was taking was the vice president and was taking over as the president the following season for the NSCCA, 
and he mentioned to me, would I would I be um, keen to take over the role as registrar? And uh, I, I sort of said, oh, yeah, I, I think that'd be great, you know, and um, I, because I'd done the registrar's job at Quinn's, which just involved, I guess, registering new players and, and keeping a register of uh, all the um, members and things like that, I thought, oh, this would be a pretty easy job. <laughs> little did I know what was... <laughs> little did I know what that Don't mean to laugh at you, but yeah, not quite. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was quite a funny story because I really didn't know what was actually involved in the job and it wasn't until I uh, I went to see Steve who was the who had been the registrar for quite a number of years yeah. and he sort of passed over uh, some of his paperwork and stuff and um, and just mentioned to me that oh did you know that you know you'll be doing the fixtures and this and that and the grading and I went and I sort of said oh no I thought it was just keeping track of all the new all the members and keeping a database so it was a bit of a wake up uh, to then find out what I was actually in store for so uh, you know look if if I had but if I had have known what was involved and was asked again would I have done the job probably still yeah I was gonna <laughs> say 15 years later uh and you're still yeah. doing it if you had said no there I would have politely called you a bald-faced liar <laughs> no I think I, I think that was the thing I, th I think look it's it's always nice to be thought of uh in for something like that you know to, ha to have somebody um you know, have confidence in you uh, to be able to do a job like this is is really nice. And so, for me, obviously, the first couple of seasons were were quite tough. It was it was a lot involved, a lot to learn. Uh, and yeah, fixturing. I'd I'd never sort of really fixtured anything before like that. So, um, it it was a big job, uh, countless countless hours involved, and and a lot of late nights, um, staying up to get things done. But uh, then over the years, I I, I kind of found my way through it all and um you know got a knack for it and then uh and then from there it just sort of evolved and became sort of like second nature for me so yeah it, you know it's funny I, I think you know perhaps a lot of people may have thought that um you know including myself that once I finished playing cricket would I still continue in the role and yeah. um for me it was a no-brainer I think uh it it's something that even like I say I've been doing it 15 seasons now and I still really enjoy it. You know, I, I still, um, I guess you could call me a bit of a stats nerd. Yeah. Uh, where, where, yeah, you know, I, I used to like doing all the micro cricket stuff for the club and things like that. And, you know, for me, um, it, it's it's still keeping an eye on the competition and, and having an input in how the association is run and, and just trying to make sure that, uh, you know that it, that it's a fantastic place for people to come and play cricket. I think that's the overriding joy in it is is creating a a place and an atmosphere where people want to come and play cricket and and enjoy themselves and um, you know and and they have a professionally run organisation to 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 be able to administer that. And um, you know, for me, I think you know cricket gave me so much uh for the time that i was playing uh for me to still be able to give back to that is just such a thrill uh you know and and you know i've got a lot of friends um on the committee and uh you know i think again it's it's probably one of those jobs where uh I, i'm not going to be able to give it away too easily uh you know every second year when it comes up for uh, voting again uh there's not too many hands that go up <laughs> to uh take over the role but um, but that's fine, you know, for me, I think um, it's just, it's it's still such a thrill to be a part of the association and to be able to give back 
uh, and, and you know, help to steer the association in the right direction and, and to see where we, where we were, you know, 15 years ago when I first started to where we are now, you know, getting, getting a thousand cricketers on the park week in and week out yeah. um, for me is just, it's such a, it's it just gives me such a good feeling to be able to, uh, you know, contribute that. And um, uh, yeah, you know, look, there's, there's a lot of tribulation, a lot of trials and tribulations with the job. Uh, like you say, it's a, it's a thankless task at times, but um, you know, I think again, it, you know, the respect that I get from everybody involved in every club is just so it is, it's such a nice, nice feeling to, to get that respect. And um, you know, to know that I'm really contributing in such a significant way is, is, is fantastic. Yeah, without question. And uh, I know that you are a highly respected person uh, around the competition, uh, obviously a life member now of the NSCCA as well. So definitely, a, you know, a, you know, wonderful human being just to have him at part of the cricket community. But it would be it would be selfish of us to have kept you just in that cricket community. Um, you, you touched on, um, you know, you, you're starting to feel, I guess, a bit more pain through that left leg through cricket. Um, so... Then you started to look at, I guess, um, other sports um, and using the wheelchair. Sort of tell, talk us through that that uh, process and you know how you got to looking for another sport that might be less taxing there on your body and and sort of how you settled on badminton. Sure, I, I think um, it was probably a couple of years before I gave up playing cricket. I, I knew, I kind of knew in myself that the body was sort of getting to the point where it was probably ready to go, and uh, you know I. I I'd actually been approached years and years and years prior um, by somebody who was involved in wheelchair basketball that I, sh I should go down and, and have a go. And I think at the time, I, because I was playing cricket and I sort of, you know, I'd never thought of myself, I guess, I'd always thought of myself as playing able-bodied sports and, and not playing wheelchair uh, sports. And, and you know, I, my response was, oh, I'm not in a wheelchair. And, and she said, no, you don't have to be in a wheelchair. We have able-bodied people play all the time. And uh, at, at the time, I, I sort of just didn't think anything more of it. So that conversation that I'd had with that um, that person from, you know, it was probably 10 years before, came back to me and I thought, well, maybe maybe it's time that I start looking at other avenues because obviously cricket's not going to be around forever for me. And, um, you know, being as competitive as I am and loving sport as much as I do, uh, to then stop playing cricket and just not have something else to go to um, was a bit frightening, to be honest. So. Um, so I went to uh, Rebound WA, which used to be Wheelchair Sports WA, yep. and um, and just asked them about you know different sports that were available. Um, and they obviously wheelchair basketball is is one of their main sports with that and rugby. But I wasn't quite didn't quite have the sort of required impairments for rugby, uh, even though I would have given that a go for sure. Yep. Uh, so I decided I just decided okay I'll start playing um, a bit of basketball, which I did. For, I did that for a couple of years and then I probably got a bit more into it once I stopped playing cricket. I got a bit more serious into it and I was playing in the state league every uh, every week. Um, but I think it, it, I was probably just at the wrong, in the wrong age group to really pursue a, uh, I guess, a career in basketball any at a higher level than what I was doing. And, and I'd never, I guess I'd never really had thoughts of doing any sport at a higher level but then when I started to play wheelchair basketball and I and you know the the, the word Paralympics sort of got bandied around a bit it, yeah. you know it kind of stuck in my head a little bit and then and you know yeah you know, in hindsight yeah I would have started playing something like this 20 years ago um but 
it, it was just something that happened by chance. I was, I'd been playing basketball and I was, I'd tried a few other sports. I'd tried athletics. I did a bit of shot put and that sort of thing, but I just found that a little bit boring. And um, I was looking and I was going to try wheelchair tennis and they, they were holding a uh, sort of come and try day where you could go along and give it a go. And, and for some reason, I can't remember, but I missed out on the, on the day and, and the guy had, um, uh, rebound said oh we've got a badminton club that you know has not long started up and plays uh would you like to give that a go and I think I'd I'd played it once or twice when I was probably about 11 or 12 yeah I think I played it for inter-school sports once in primary school it was uh, staple, so I thought, oh, yeah. staple for yeah. high school and primary school to learn badminton. it was well yeah I think it might have even been year eight or something I played it as a as an inter-school sport for some reason you know just like I think my recorder. parents you learn it in yeah. school and then like where does it come back for yeah. obviously it comes it's, back it's, for you but that, that's right it's 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 a strange one because i'd sort of i think my parents brought me a, a you know a, a home badminton kit with a net and some rackets and that when i was probably uh quite young and you know used to play at home and uh a little bit so i thought oh, look, i'll give it a go and yeah i just i went and did a two-hour session and it just blew me away. Just, uh, I thought this is fantastic. For some reason, it just, um, uh, you know, I think I was lucky from the wheelchair basketball that I already had, you know, a little bit of chess, wheelchair skill, yeah. um, no racket skill whatsoever, but still had the hand-eye coordination. So I thought I can learn, I can learn that. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so I started going along and just doing these um, two-hour sessions every Sunday morning. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's a small world because the gentleman who was running the um, the sessions uh, uh, said to me, I think on the second week, said, "Oh, I think I've umpired you in cricket," and um, yeah. and so I, I sort of thought, oh, I think I and and funnily enough, you mentioned Ellersdale. It was actually a game against um, it might have been Greenwood back then, might have been before the Warwick Greenwood days, but it was a game against Greenwood at Ellersdale uh, that he umpired me, and I was I think I was playing E grade at the time. Uh, and I went back on my cricket and had a look and you found his name and thought, that, that's right. So it was such a small world that he had actually recognised me and said, well, I guess I'm a bit hard to miss, but he'd actually <laughs> said, oh, yeah, I rem remember you playing cricket, you know, umpired you. So we, we sort of sat down and got to talking and, and I think he was he was quite passionate about trying to really build, um, you know, badminton. He had he'd been a badminton, a good good cricket player, but a good badminton player in the UK. So he was really passionate about trying to grow uh, badminton as an inclusive sport in Australia because there there had been a bit of a history with para badminton obviously sort of probably started in Europe and then in the UK probably back in about 2000 uh, yeah, 2005 2006 somewhere around there and then a lot of the Asian nations sort of got on board but Australia hadn't really um, taken it up and and I think yeah it's due to the fact that badminton as a sport is is quite a uh, it, it's not a small sport in Australia. I mean, obviously, it's not a major sport, but it's as a competitive sport, it's not huge. It's it's a very sort of widely played social uh, sport in Australia. But um, uh, to get to the competitive level, you know, we're, we're Australia, we're a long way behind a lot of the big badminton nations. Uh, so for him, it was trying to sort of build. Uh, para badminton in Australia get it, it it had started up I think in Melbourne there were a few guys who had who had sort of been to a few international tournaments um, but had not done anything of of note and so yeah he, he was sort of on a bit of a mission to get um, 
to get Barry Badminton, you know, started in in Australia and in Perth. And uh, I think he saw a little bit in me and we got to chatting and he mentioned that um, it had been included as a Paralympic sport for Tokyo for 2020. It was the first time that uh, para badminton was going to be included in the Paralympics. So this was uh, this was 2016 when I first started. So it was sort of four years away. And uh, we sat down and we spoke about it. And he, he sort of put it to me and said, look, would you, would you be interested in sort of going on a pathway and then training uh, towards maybe going to Paralympics? And I think for me, it was, you know, it was a bit of a, I'd never really thought of, you know Paralympics or anything like that before and um for me I think I'd sort of said yeah yeah look I'm, I'm keen to give it a go I'm keen to try anything but uh so it was that something that I thought that. yeah it, look it was you know it, the seed was planted but it was something that I thought oh look I'll, I'll never get to that I'll never be that good or get to that stage you know there's always that self-doubt that oh look I'll never be that good and you know I think um you know we started doing some extra training and and I started uh training more often uh, and it was 2017 where I'd been playing probably six months or so. And um, we decided to head off to my first international tournament. And uh, it was funnily enough, it was the first time I'd ever been out of the country. So I had to get a passport for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, flew over to Thailand uh, for my first ever tournament. And um, I'd only really ever seen any of the international players on YouTube and thought, oh, I, I can do that. I can keep up with that. That's fine. And uh yeah, it wasn't until I got over there and uh, suddenly started playing against guys from Korea and uh, Japan and that and realised just how how bad I was. <laughs> really, really got taught a lesson in uh, in how how sort of skilled the you know these players were and just um, you know I came home from that first tournament thinking yeah I've got some work to do. So, but that that sort of I think that really gave me the motivation then to start training really hard uh straining more often you know put more hours into training and um and then just competing more uh going to more tournaments getting that experience uh you know it's tough in those early days to go to the tournaments and get absolutely smashed off the court and you know keep picking yourself up and saying that's fine that's fine i'll, I'll you know it's just a learning experience it's, it's all character building eric you know yeah. um so yeah it was pretty tough but like I said, it, it was it was all a learning process, and it was it was good to go to those tournaments just to see how those players play, to see the way they move their chair. Um, so I, I I was able to I guess I sat there and really studied the players and um, really watched what they did and and tried to then take that home and incorporate it into my own training and um, you know just just through that sort of started getting better and better and uh, and then yeah and that was. Uh, that was pretty much how I sort of first started in the sport. Um, and then it just became an absolute passion. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that you didn't have a passport because you've definitely got a few stamps on it now. <laughs> um, um, how, how do you find that, um, I guess, process? Because you mentioned you're training a lot. Is there a lot of fundraising involved in terms of being able to get to those tournaments? How, how is that sort of supported, you know, in conjunction with your training and, and getting to all those tournaments? Yeah, it, look, it's been tough. Um, you know, the the sport in itself has evolved so much, especially I think when once it became included as a Paralympic sport, then a lot of the uh, bigger badminton nations started throwing, you know, truckloads of money at their para athletes. Uh, so it suddenly became, um, you know, amateurs against professionals as such because when I when I you know you talk I talk to a lot of the overseas players you know um 
and they're pretty much full-time professional athletes now. So they're training, uh, you know, for instance, you look at something like the Korean or Japanese team, the Indian team, they're, they're training, you know, six, seven days a week, three times a day on court. So, you know, they're on court probably 30 to 40 hours a week, um, plus gym, gym sessions, physio. So for them, it's, it's, it's a full-time job and, and they're fully funded, fully, fully sponsored. They have huge financial backing. Um, and, you know, probably some of these guys are probably funded more than what some of their able-bodied athletes are, um, and that's that's how I guess that's how important badminton is in some of these nations where it's yeah I've just I've just been just got back from Indonesia uh, last week and you know we we, we had um, you know crowds in the in this sort of stadium uh, making noise as and it sounded like there was fifty thousand people inside the stadium it was that loud yeah. uh, the support for their own players and and you know it's such a huge badminton nation Indonesia uh so it, it's tough because in australia we we get almost zero funding um you know obviously the the funding goes to the biggest sports which which is fair enough i mean they're the sports that are meddling at at paralympics and things like that um so for us it's it's a lot about doing our own fundraising seeking out our own sponsorship uh and and then worst case scenario it's it's self-funded so uh, a lot of it is is you know coming from your own pocket as well to get to these tournaments and and, and unfortunately, the worst thing is, is you know, since the COVID sort of pandemic, uh, everything's become more expensive. Uh, yeah. Flights, accommodation, everything has become way more expensive. So it's definitely getting harder and harder. But, um, you, you know, you, you look, it, it is what it is. You, you've just got to be, be a, you've just got to do your best and, you know, always be on the lookout for, for potential sponsorship and, um, you know, do some fundraising. We've done quiz nights and sausage sizzles and all sorts of things, you know, stuff that cricket clubs would normally generally do to try and raise some funds as well. We're yeah. doing that as, and that sort of thing, which is, which has been good, but it's, I think, you know, and, and probably the biggest difference I find is um, not being able to train enough as well, because a lot of us are still having to, you know, have obviously have jobs uh, and then do training. So you just, we just are unable to get on the court, you know, six days a week, three times a day. So, when you're going up against these guys, their uh, you know their shot quality and consistency is just that class above, and um, and you know they're just they're fitter and faster, and they're in their chairs, and um, you know it's it's really it's really tough to compete against that. It's you know I, I sort of a lot of people ask me, oh, what's what's the quality of a difference like? And then you know I would sort of I would say, well, it's, you know it's it's like playing h grade cricket and then suddenly coming up against district cricketers or something like that you know in 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 a sort of scary sense it's um they they're just at the top of their game and um uh you know but but look you know we we get I get on court as much as I humanly can um and do do as much as I can and then um you know it's it's I'm definitely getting getting to the point now where I'm sort of far more competitive with a lot of the better players in the world which is really really pleasing uh, you know, I've kept my ranking inside the world top 20 now for, for the past couple of years, which has been really, really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, those sort of top 12 to 15 guys are just are phenomenal players. And, um, you know, to be getting closer and closer is really pleasing, definitely. Yeah. And with that, as you said, you've just been gradually getting better and, and better with your development of the game. Was there a, a breakthrough moment you can recall? I mean, we're just doing a little bit of research. I don't want to do too much because I want to hear it from you. But, um, you yeah. know, noting Geelong, where you, you took the Oceanics, um, 
was that where really started breakthrough? Was there a moment beforehand or what was that moment when you're like, okay, yeah, no, this is something that um, looking forward, it's going to be really achievable to get those higher goals where it's Paralympics or, or whatever it might've been. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. Probably 2018 was, um, uh, there was a national championships uh, a bit before the Oceania championships that year. And the year, be year before I'd, I'd come runner up in the national champs and, you know, I, I'd sort of thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. But then I, I sort of really worked hard in that period, in that space between the 2017 and 2018 nationals, and then played, uh, got to the final and played the same guy that had beaten me the year previous. And then I came out and beat him in two, uh, and which was really good. And I think from that point on, I really started to then believe in myself because uh, you know, the guy that I'd sort of played, he had come from a wheelchair tennis background and and he was, you know, very good in his chair and he was quite a formidable opponent. Um, and then I played in that 2018 uh, Geelong Oceania Championships and and beat him quite convincingly in that, in that tournament as well. So I think that that was from that point on, I thought, look, I, I'm on the right track here. I just need to keep training hard, keep working at the craft uh, and, and, you know, hopefully it'll all fall into place. But I think it, it, just as time went on, I, I kept getting more confident in my ability. Um, but really, I think it, it still probably took, you know, I, I remember one of my coaches saying to me that it realistically takes four years, four years before you learn how to play the game properly. You know, you can, you can be good technically uh, in badminton and that sort of thing, but it takes four years of competing before you actually learn the intricacies of the game and and how the shuttle flies and then the movement and, and everything like that and and I think he was probably quite right you know it sort of took me from that 2017 2018 time to you know probably around about that 2021 coming into the Paralympics where I really started to feel confident in my ability uh to read the game properly and and know know the game properly um but you know to this day I'm still learning and learning and learning and um you know, I think uh, it, it just helps being, I guess, just studying those good players and, and seeing what they do, their sort of movement patterns, um, you know, a, a lot of the what they what their movement in the chair, a lot of that I take into training and, and try and perfect those movements. And, uh, you know, it's all about being fast, but economical as well. You know, you can be too fast if there's such a thing. You know, either you can be too fast and um, it's yeah. all about being really economical in the chair you know, it's such a, um, you know, it's a sport that takes so much stamina, uh, you know, so it, it it really wears you out. So you need to be as, you know, economical in your movement as possible to conserve all that energy um, and that sort of thing. So, you know, I think, I think for me um, also having, learning the racket skill as well. Yeah. And that's something that, uh, you know, you sort of think, you pick up a badminton racket and swing it and, you know, you can you can swing it as hard as you possibly can and hit the shuttle and the shuttle goes hardly anywhere. It's all about, yeah, yeah, it, it's funny. It's, it's completely different to tennis. It's all in the snap and the wrist and the fingers. And, you know, it's just a, the little subtle movements with your fingers that um, create different angles. And so it just takes so much time to be able to learn all that, that sort of craft. Um, and, you know, I think probably in, those, in these last couple of years, I've really been able to, now learn those finer points and and really be playing at a level now where you know I'm I'm sort of just just starting to come 
up, you know, to, to really be confident against these better players now. And, um, you know, I think that's shown from my last couple of results where I've medaled in the last two tournaments that I've been, been to, uh, you know, I've been able to sort of match it with, with beat, beat the players that I should beat, but then almost match it with the guys that are just that little bit better than me. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of mixing it with the best, obviously the, uh, the Tokyo Paralympics is obviously a, a huge high point so far in, in the journey of, of you and, and para badminton. Um, tell us a little mm. bit about the qualification process for that. So how you do earn the right to be a Paralympian there in the Tokyo Games. Yeah, so basically um, when, when the Paralympics, at the, the year before a Paralympic Games, uh, they start off with qualifying uh, tournaments. So every year there is a certain amount of, international tournaments which give you points for world ranking um but then we, when the when the tokyo qualification started so that started at, at the beginning of 2019 and went through to i think the end of march 2020 so you had uh, you know i think there was maybe 13 tournaments that you could attend and get ranking points and they would take your six best finishes and that would be your point system from there okay. Uh, but it's it's really was quite cutthroat because there were only I think ninety positions available, which were you know forty five for each gender. And in para badminton, there are there's two wheelchair classifications and four standing classifications. So there there are six different classifications that you can play under. Yeah. So each classification only had a certain amount of spots available. So it was very much um, you had to be pretty much you know almost top six in the world to to really wow. get an automatic yeah qualifying spot so it's very very tough but they did also announce that there would be spots uh so continental spots so each um that there are so the different continental regions are oceania africa uh pan am americas europe and asia so each continent each continental region would get a male and female a bit like a wild card i guess so that each region around the world would have representation because otherwise you'd probably just find all the qualifiers would be from Asia or Europe. That's where the best players are. So um, it was, it was a way that they would sort of ensure that there was participation from, from, from every region. So, so for me, I think it was, okay, I'm, I'm probably not going to get that top spot, you know, or those top six spots uh, in automatic qualification, but I just needed to be, the highest sort of male qualifier in Oceania to be able to get that continental spot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, look, I was fortunate enough that at the end um, it came down to a, a couple of us, uh, myself and a guy from New Zealand and, a, and another guy from Melbourne. And um, I was the highest qualified uh, player. So uh, got that, got that one and only male <laughs> Oceania spot. So extremely fortunate. Um, to get that spot but but you know very grateful as well and and you know so thrilled the, the you know it was um there was a few weeks probably about a month between uh badminton australia or badminton oceania putting the names forward and saying look these are the three people we're putting forward and then for bwf uh to then make the decision um you know i still to this day remember the phone call i got on you know about 8 30 on a friday night from my coach to say that uh yep you've got it uh, you know, it was just, you know, I just couldn't believe it. I almost fell down. <laughs> was... That's awesome. What, what, what happens when you get that call? How, how, like, you know, thankfully, hopefully you didn't fall down, but um, how, how do you react? Uh, who, who's the first person you tell? Tell us through that moment that you go, oh my goodness, I'm, you know, 
a Paralympian, which is just like, yeah. you think about, you know, the pedestal that, um, you know, I guess athletes get put on and even growing mm. up, you go to be an Olympian, be a Paralympian. It's just like, they yeah. are the, the cream of the crop. What's that initial sort of, I guess, celebration or, or emotion like? Yeah, look, I think, I think initially it was, you know, there's that initial elation, a little bit of relief because um, I think you knew, you know, you're in line for it. It'd be different if I think if you qualified automatically, you knew you were going to get that spot, you know, the, the elation, but having to wait and hear that, okay, you've been selected one out of three to get that spot. Um, it was just elation. And I was actually driving home from somewhere and, and, and pulled up in my driveway and got the call and, you know, just chatted with my coach for, for five minutes or so, and then came inside and, uh, my son was the only person that was home at the time. So I just told him and, and he was absolutely thrilled. And then, um, the first phone call that I made was my wife and we, we were, I was actually told that I had to keep it quiet until <laughs> Paralympics Australia made the official announcement. So all I could do was tell close family and that was it would, you know, um, I think Paralympics Australia wanted to make the official announcement on the Monday, they were going to do a, uh, have an interview with us and, yeah. and make the official call. So we had to sort of keep it quiet and, I, my wife was out with my um, oldest daughter and some friends and I rang her and she was trying not to scream <laughs> and, and my friends are saying to her, you know, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she, oh, nothing, nothing. Just, you know, nothing. It's all, all good. It's Friday. And she, Yay. <laughs> yeah. she was just trying to, you know, hide her excitement. And, um, yeah, I think I, 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 then I rang, rang my sister and told my sister and, uh, you know, just, uh, and my, and my other, my two daughters and, um you know we sort of kept it kept it under wraps until until it was officially announced uh and that which was which was pretty tough because you just wanted to scream it to everybody that you could that you knew look I'm going to the Paralympic Games you know but um yeah look I think it was just you know that immense feeling of pride that uh you know I've put in all that hard work and and um look you know whilst whilst you wanted to make it qualify automatically you always knew that it was going to be really tough because you're up against you know, fully professional athletes and, and, you know, you really needed, you know, to be top six in the world is just, is a, is a massive jump. So uh, to, to know that I'd got that spot and, um, and, you know, and I was, uh, I mean, representing my country at international events. And then I'd actually been at that point, I'd been to two world championships. Um, but this was just, you know, this was on another level in itself to know that, uh you know, you were going to go to a Paralympics and, and, and as time went on and, and you talk to people and, you know, the realisation set in, people would say to you, look, you know, there are very few people that are, that actually get to do what you're about to do. And, yes. you know, I think, I think that realisation uh, set in that, yeah, look, I'm, you know, this is something that I guess, you know, my coach said to me, this is something that will never be taken away from you. You know, you, you're not only are you going to Paralympics, but you're the first, yeah. the first Australian para badminton athlete to be selected for a Paralympic Games, so uh, you know that's just history in itself. Um, was you know I think it just <laughs> the more time went on, I just couldn't believe it. So yeah, look, it was just it was just such a thrill um, to be selected and 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 to get there and uh, to go to go through that whole process, which uh, which is a really tough process. Yeah, it spun me up though. Is was this conversation and this qualification happening in 2019 before the original delays and pandemic and all that negative stuff we won't get through on this show? But is it in 2019? Absolutely. So basically, uh, we got told um, in 2019, yeah. and then um, 
everything got put on hold pretty much. Uh, and they even, I think the, the very last qualifying tournament got cancelled as well because of what happened. So we, um, everything got put on hold. So basically we didn't get told then until 2021 whether we were going or not. So I think all the people that had qualified uh, automatically, they knew they were going to qualify and they just basically had to keep training for the next year. But yeah. the slots that we got were weren't going to be decided until the following year so we actually didn't find out until um until probably a month before we were due to before it was due to happen so you know wow. we, we were pretty much the people that got the, the the continental slots or the wild card slots uh were the last people to actually know about it and and yeah it was it was pretty much i think four to six weeks before the games were to be held so it was it was you know i'd, I'd been through the whole paralympic sort of uh, Paralympics Australia processing where you, where you sort of you go on a long list and you try on all the all the gear so and then that sort of thing get measured up for all the clothing and that sort of thing but then you know I think one of one of one of the memories I have from that as well is that we I was at a uh, a local tournament a state tournament and the um the the female slot actually went to an athlete from WA as well so we're the only two from Australia to go um but our bags and all our clothing um had been sent to badminton wa and so they presented us presented our our kits to us um at the tournament on this day so it was I just agree. you know just yeah just to, you know and, and then to get home bring all that stuff home and um unpack it with my wife and son here and just go through everything and and look at it and it, you know it was just it was just one of those moments that you'll just never forget so talk us through the olympics when they do come around obviously the Tokyo 2020 Paralympics uh, don't happen in 2020 for the obvious reasons. Nope. <laughs> uh, so it ends up uh, being pushed out to September 2021. Uh, tell us about your experience. Uh, what's it like being a, uh, an athlete there in the, in the village, so to speak, and, um, you know, the whole experience about playing against the world's best on the, the biggest stage that you can do as a Paralympian? Yeah, look, it was absolutely phenomenal. I think, um, you know, the whole lead up to... Uh, leaving was was great. You know, I, I did some, I did a few talks at some schools and things like that. And you know, you had sort of, you were basically being prepped for media opportunities. And yeah, suddenly life just changed in an instant. Uh, you were being, um, you know, phone calls and and things like that for interviews. And um, all of a sudden, your name was out there, and it, it, you know, everybody knew who you were. And um, but it, it was it was. It was strange in a way because of uh, because I guess it was uh, you know an Olympics that was you know being held under a pandemic and um, you know when when I even when the, the trip over there was uh, I, well, I did a training camp for three days in Melbourne before I flew out and then we had to fly to Sydney and you know Sydney Airport was basically a ghost town it was absolutely empty and yeah. uh, I remember sitting sitting in Sydney Airport um, doing an interview on. Um, sunrise which was just crazy uh with a couple <laughs> yeah. of others yeah suddenly i'm on sunrise and um yeah you didn't even just, have to try and just... get money off the cow you just were there on your own no. i was i was just just on there and uh yeah they did a little interview with us and um but yeah just sort of wearing wearing the uh paralympic gear and um you know having people in the airport sort of just say to you oh no i'm on a, i'm on a flight with a paralympian it's crazy and, and all this it was just <laughs> it was just such a strange feeling but uh yeah it was very very um you know the the, the it, 
nerves and excitement on the way over there and then to get to the actual village and um and see what it was like it just again the, the feeling of sort of entering that the australian building for the first time and um being taken to your rooms and um you know just being part of that atmosphere was absolutely amazing uh, you know you, you couldn't put it into words because you just you had to pinch yourself to realize you were there and, and suddenly you're there with all these elite athletes from other sports and um you know you you sort of you're almost second guessing yourself doubting yourself thinking oh, I, I don't deserve to be here I, i'm here with all these people who are um just at the, the best of the best in their sport and then you sort of you have to realize you sort of think well I'm the best of the best in my country at my sport as well. That's so, it, yeah. You, uh, you've earned yeah. that right. It's, it's, you've, uh, you, you earn that. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, it, it, it was a bit strange because there were a lot of restrictions on where we're allowed to go in the village um, and what we're allowed to do. And, it, you know, it was, it was testing every morning and, and that sort of thing. So yeah. I guess it was unique in a way in that um, it wasn't a, just a normal Paralympic Games. It was It was a Paralympic Games, but with with certain restrictions and, and caveats on, on there. But I think what that did, that whole experience um, made me extremely hungry to try and go to another Paralympic games and, and, and experience what it would be like with the crowds and, and yeah. with, with the whole atmosphere of being, you know, not in that sort of restrictive space, I think. Um, did it, did it detract from it? Oh, possibly, but, Maybe if you'd been to a Paralympics before and and experienced what a, what a normal Paralympics was like, and then you had all these restrictions, you would probably feel it. But for me, being at the first one, it was just such a thrill and an honour to be there that it didn't matter that you couldn't go here or you had to you know test or this or that. It just didn't matter what was happening. You just, you were just so happy to be there and um and and be part of it. And uh, I think probably the toughest, one of the toughest things was was uh, landing and and my and the draw for the badminton had gone up and realizing <laughs> yeah. that my games my games were going to get be against two Korean guys, one who was the number one in the world and the yeah. other guy was I think number four, four in the world or something like that. So I'm going to ask you about that. I sort was of thought, Kim Jung Jun was the number one in the world yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. So at the time he had only been beaten I think twice in twelve years or something like that in singles oh, wow. and um you know he was just he's a phenomenal phenomenal player you know he's just been one of the world's best players in wheelchair badminton for forever and uh and the other guy was you know a, another korean guy who who was really you know pretty much took it up to him as well so yeah i, I knew that uh my uh, my tournament was probably going to be a quite a short tournament but you know you know what it was it was worth 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 it just to be there and and just to be part of it and um you know, I thought I think it didn't matter who you got drawn against. They're all such top quality players that it was always going to be uh, really, really tough. Um, but yeah, look, I think uh, you know, the, and the, and the moment for me, which really sort of sunk in, was my first game. You, you sort of line up in a ton in a tunnel with the umpires and your opponent, and you get led out onto the arena, and and the the announcer calls your names, and you know, we'd we'd had some practice at a different venue and we'd had one practice session on, on the, the official courts um, where it was being held. But then to go out there when all the scoreboards were up and your name was up on the scoreboard and just that brief moment before you get out onto the court, I just looked around and took it all in and just thought to myself, wow, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm actually on the biggest stage I could possibly be on um, for my sport. And, uh, you know, just, just living an absolute dream. 
um, you know, I think that was the realization that I was really there and, uh, you know, it was just, it was just such a magical feeling. Um, yeah, it's something that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that moment where I just looked around and, um, you know, thought, wow, here I am. Um, we'll start to come around the home stretch now um, because, uh, you know, um, obviously Paralympics are, are huge, and but that obviously wasn't the, the end of the story because you're still training, still in tournaments. You mentioned you've just come back from Indonesia and you've got a whole bunch of training on the way as well. You're off to <laughs> Melbourne and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's go, go, go still. So if we cast our eye to the future here, just uh, what, what are the next goals now for yourself? I think you just mentioned there about you know, trying to get to another Paralympics, just to, I guess, you know, get that for one of a better term, different experience, or I guess, quote unquote, normal experience, but what's, what's the next goals and what does that look like for yourself in para badminton? Yeah. So, so basically I've just been um, competing in international tournaments uh, last year and then qualification for Paris next year. So that started yeah. at the beginning of this year. Uh, so I've been to um, numerous tournaments this year. I've, I've sort of done Spain, Bahrain, Thailand, um, Indonesia, and and a few others. You're going to need uh, a passport so... soon. <laughs> You've gone from having none to is this is this a yeah. second passport now? Or is, have you have you filled up one? Just about. Uh, yeah. I was I was actually looking at it the other day, and I'm thinking <laughs> I think I need a new one soon. So. Uh, um, but yeah, look, the, the last two I've done, I did, uh, went to Uganda, which was my first time in Africa, actually. And that was, that was an experience in itself, yeah. but I came away with two bronze medals in Uganda in sing, uh, one in singles, one in doubles, and then backed it up again in Indonesia just last week with, uh, with a bronze in singles and doubles. So really, really pleasing. The, the doubles? Yeah. And, and, and we've only just started playing doubles together at, uh, I think that was our fourth tournament that we've done together so and already um, bronze. Wow. <laughs> yeah yeah look we, we you know i think we we've just we clicked really well uh he's doing a lot of work he, he himself only started playing at the start of this year so his development has been absolutely phenomenal so um yeah for a couple of old blokes we're, we're, we're doing okay uh and then getting better as we go so i'm off to melbourne um 6 a.m tomorrow morning to go and do a week training with him before we come back and there's uh tournaments in in uh, Mandra, actually, um, at the end of September. So there's the Oceania Championships and then the uh, Western Australian International. Both of those are going to be held at the uh, Mandra Sports and Aquatic Centre, um, which will be, which will be great. You know, big, huge, huge um, thrill to have have our own sort of home tournaments. The first ever Western Australian Para Badminton tournament. We had the one in Geelong in 2018, but this is the first one in WA. So it's going to be huge. And from what I hear, I think there's uh, in excess of 250 entries um, from all over the world, from about 17 different countries. So uh, it's going to be uh, logistically, it's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's what's on the cards at the moment. Uh, then I finish off with um, Japan in November, uh, Dubai in December, then Egypt in January, and then we have the World Championships in February in Thailand, and that'll be the final qualification tournament for Paris. So. Uh, it's just all about sort of trying to get as many points as possible at the moment. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully, uh, yeah, you know, if, if obviously if, if we don't quite qualify via the automatic method, then we're still, I think there's a few more of us sort of after that wildcard slot now. So it, it might be a nervous wait as well, but, uh, but no, who knows where, um, like I said, the, the competition's definitely getting stronger and stronger each year. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the 
obviously the dream for me, uh, you know, the next goal is the world championships in February and then um, try and trying to become a, you know, a dual Paralympian, which I think for me that that first taste of being at a Paralympic games has just driven me even more to, to try and get to another one. And, and, you know, a, instead of, you know, Grandman's only Paralympian, Grandman's only dual Paralympian sounds a whole lot better, I think. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you're, yeah. You're always and, wanting and, more, whether it's, uh, oh, you know, uh, dual Paralympian, dual premiership player, whatever it is, you always want that extra one. You want to keep on adding it yeah. because, you know, you mentioned before, you're a bit of a stats nerd. I, I think we politely refer to ourselves as nuffies. So, um, yep. so yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Um, would there be any advice you would give to someone, I guess, who, is looking to get involved, whether you want to go as granular as, you know, getting involved with badminton or, or go broader with that. What, um, how would somebody first get involved into it and sort of, you know, not follow your path specifically, but, you know, maybe take inspiration from it. Yeah, for sure. I think um, initially uh, to get into, you know, power badminton, um, you you probably best to jump on, jump on the uh, badminton Australia website and there's direct links to, contact people um i think most states now have a program running uh, there's probably a couple maybe a couple of states that are still running a little bit behind but definitely western australia uh victoria sydney uh, uh, south australia all have really good para badminton programs running and, and clubs running that you can go down and get involved into but look you know badminton is such a thrilling exciting fast sport uh you know and and it's the type of sport that you know, people who might not be good at basketball or football or, or you know, contact sports, um, you know, you, you can find something in badminton that will definitely suit just about anybody, uh, you know, at, at any skill level, whether you're just after a bit of a social hit or whether you want to look at competing, uh, you know, a, a, as high as I have, um, there's definitely a pathway, a clear pathway there now. Um, but yeah, look, my advice is just just give it a go. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think of badminton, oh, well, what's that? Or, or, you know, they don't know much about it or, oh, it's a, you know, it's not, not much fun or anything like that. But, you know, I've, I've known so many people who have uh, given it a go for the first time and, and just gone, wow, that's, fan you know, that's so much fun. It's fantastic. So, and it's something that the whole family can enjoy with, you know, whether you're a young child or, or you're, you know, 70, 80 years old, you know, there are seniors still playing well into their twilight years. Um, you know, it, it's the type of sport that absolutely anybody can pick up and have a go. Uh, and, and it's just so much fun. Um, so yeah, my advice would just, just give it a try and, and see if you like it. I think, I think uh, most people that pick up a racket will end up loving it. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, they want to get, get into a, uh, you know, more competitive uh pathway um there's definitely opportunities there and uh you know and and it's still relatively new and growing in australia so the opportunity is there now that if you i think if you are looking to maybe uh go further in the sport uh you know you, you could look at la in four years or or you know um brisbane and that sort of thing down the track so uh, and we're hoping it may even sort of be included in commonwealth games in the not too distant future as well so uh, there's definitely an there's definitely an avenue um, to compete at the highest level, and uh, yeah, just you know, look, I urge anybody just to give it a, give it a go, and and you don't have to be in a wheelchair like I am. You, like I said, there's four standing classes that you can play in. Yeah. Uh, so whether you've got an, a lower limb impairment or an upper limb impairment, uh, there's a class classification for short stature people. 
so there's there's abs there's something for everybody and uh yeah yeah just just get out there and have a crack yeah for sure um well what we what we'll do in the meantime as well we want to make sure that we're following along with how you're going with all your tournaments and your progress to to hopefully uh paris in next year and you know when you're listing all those tournaments and those locations it's sounding more and more like mission impossible filming locations rather than uh badminton <laughs> tournament locations but so it's a lot to keep up with honestly so uh, where can we follow along for yourself individually um, and for the, the sporting tournaments that you're going to be um, part of over the next year and beyond? Sure. So um, I have uh, my own Facebook page, which is just Grant Manzoni, uh, but I also have a sports page, athlete page, which is uh, Grant Manzoni Para Badminton. Uh, so I, I, I post all my results on both those pages um, and my Instagram as well, which is uh, which is. Grand Man's only para badminton, I think, as well. Um, You've got a little underscore. So yeah, anybody. <laughs> Grand Man's only yeah, with underscore the underscore underscore para badminton. That's right. I got your back. So yeah, I, I keep all um, I keep updated on the results, all my results and and tournament happenings on there, um, and what's going on. Um, and look, you know, if I can if I can give a quick plug, if there's yeah. any potential sort of sponsors out there or anybody that wants to jump on board and and help out with some fundraising or some sponsorship that I'm always happy to uh, have a chat and and you know see what I can do for your for your business uh you know in any way shape or form be it through advertising on social media or or clothing and that sort of thing um but yeah if you just want to keep an eye on what's what's happening um you know follow me on those on those platforms uh and also uh, badminton oceania and badminton australia um uh, have have social media platforms and quite often update uh, with what's happening with all the athletes and that sort of thing as well. So um, so yeah, look, just uh, yeah, throw me a friend request and I'll happily add you on and um, you can keep an eye on my progress. That'd be great. Yeah, perfect. All righty. Well, uh, thank you very much for for joining us today. Uh, I, you know, as I said to you at the beginning, even before we started recording, this is this is I guess the spirit of our show. It's just like just yeah. it's fascinating to learn about what you don't know in terms of not only the, the pathways, but obviously um, your journey, you know, has gone through a lot of different ways to get to where you've got. And so it's super exciting to see you not only represent the country once as a Paralympian, but hopefully then go onwards to 2024 and beyond. So it's been a real uh, pleasure having you on and then thank you for sharing your experience. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we did go today? I know you mentioned there, uh, about the sponsorship and fundraising, which is why I mentioned it earlier on. Uh, we'll make sure we drop a whole bunch of links on our um, platform as well, just to make sure that people can follow accordingly. Any final words you wanted to share with anyone who might be listening on um, uh, regarding your story? Oh, no, look, I think, I think you know, thanks thanks very much for having me on the show. It's It's been an absolute pleasure <clears throat> to come on and, and talk about my journey. And um, yeah, to anybody else out there that, you know, would, would, wants to hear a bit more you know please don't hesitate to get in touch um on my social media platforms i'm more than happy uh, as you can probably tell i'm more, more than happy to talk and, um, <laughs> and 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 discuss and um but no look i, I you know I, I owe a lot of people a great deal of gratitude and uh you know just continue to um be thankful every day that i'm that i'm on this journey and that i can uh, you know, do what I love doing and and continue to represent my country, which is, you know, at the end of the day is the overriding, uh, you know, motivation is just to keep representing my country, uh, the country that I love. So, uh, no, thank you to everybody listening and in the hope of, um, you know, hope, hope I've given you a, a few bits of information that you can take away. 
Yeah, perfect. Yeah, you certainly have. Thank you so much, Grant. Uh, enjoy Melbourne. Best time of the year to be there at the moment as well. And good luck to all <laughs> yeah. um, upcoming tournaments and uh, and for qualification for uh, Paralympics there in Paris. So uh, thanks a lot. That's Grant Manzoni. And uh, we'll drop all of your links and everything there on our page. So uh, wonderful story. And, uh, and without pumping your tyres too much, a wonderful human being as well. Thanks for your time, Grant. Thanks, Eric. Absolute pleasure. So, yeah, a really remarkable story there. Uh, thank you again to Grant for his time. It was a really enthralling interview, as I mentioned at the top of the show, just regarding, I guess, his journey from still being enamored in sports at a young age and, and then going through the, the pathway of, you know, first playing cricket and then from that point of view, I guess, changing midstream and and not only at such a, a stage of life, and I don't mean that in a, a rude way, and I hope Grant takes that in the way that I mean it, to then all of a sudden become an elite Paralympian. I mean, it's just a remarkable story. And uh, yeah, really, really appreciative of his time. But if you want to keep uh, on top of what's happening with Grant and para badminton in Australia, uh, at the moment, uh, as I mentioned, in Melbourne training, there's some awesome updates on the Badminton Australia Instagram page and their socials. Also, uh, Badminton Oceana is also on there and then Grant's own page, Grant Manzoni underscore para badminton. So make sure you give those a, a like, a click, a subscribe, all that sort of malarkey. Make sure you're following up with what's happening with Grant and para badminton as we go towards the next tournaments uh, we have in Perth. It's the Victor Oceana Para Badminton Championships and uh, also then following after will be the Para Badminton International. So make sure you're following along. Before we go, it's now time for this week's episode of Help Me to Help Me. Help me to help you, Barbie. Help me to help you. Help me to help you. Help me to help you. I'm not really sure that uh, that intro is fit for purpose, but uh, I mean, far short of me hitting up uh, John C. McGinley on Cameo and, uh, you know, trying to get him to re-record that, maybe a little out of budget. Plus, uh, having a look at some of his cameos, he gives you a whole life lesson. Uh, so, I mean, great great for the, the cameo purchaser. But, again, maybe not fit for purpose for our, our little podcast here. Well, anyway, help me to help me. In short, I need you to help me with something that I don't quite get. And... Uh, this one is going to be a little bit, I guess, scandalous if you are a fellow fan of the red, white, and blue. Not sure if you picked it up. I love me some Western Bulldogs. But what I've been thinking about in the last week as we get closer to the pointy end of the AFL final season, and yes, I know, Bulldogs aren't there. So what could you be talking about? Well, I got to thinking, are GWS really the bad guys? Now, it seems preposterous to think, you know, we've almost been built up to believe that GWS, the big, bad... Well, I was going to say big, big sound, but let's not start that meme thing going yet. But they're the expansion team. They've been given everything. We should not want them. D nobody even wants them. I mean, that's that's rugby town. Uh, rugby town, which is probably a, uh, an opportunity for a kid's NRL game. Um, I don't know. Maybe like the old McDonald land things they used to do, which, again, showing my age... But I was thinking about it when uh, GWS even were running over the top of Port Adelaide last week in the in the final. I was just like, I don't hate this. 
and I was trying to figure out why. Because if you look at the history as a as a as a Western Bulldogs fan or even an AFL fan in some instances, you look back at it and go, well, no, they've come into the league within the first three years of their existence. There they go. They try and cherry. Well, they don't try. They do. They first of all get Cal Ward, promising young Bulldog. You know, he was a a Bulldog legend in training. It was about to happen. This guy was going to become one of our yes, because I have a big part of the team. I'm clearly there every day at Wooden Oval, but our history this guy was going to be a certifiable legend and then before you know it plonk there we go we'll take that i've turned the salary cap off on nba 2k i'll take some of that cal ward don't you worry about that and a lot of people you know get vitriolic and go cal ward how could he do that i was always he was young i was gonna say young and dumb needed money probably not he was a young very smart and, and maybe still needed the money so i never ever begrudged cal ward and um, it's, it's been great to see what he's done But then they came in and took Ryan Griffin and um, I thought, okay, now they're taking the club captain. And as much as uh, friends have said, no, Ryan Griffin leaving was a good thing. It triggered the changes that that became the the Bulldogs premiership squad and things like that. It's still, you took our captain. I mean, we took ourselves some Tom Boyd and uh, we'll gladly take premiership player Tom Boyd. But it, it was that discontent that grew with, with Bulldogs fans. And uh, obviously, it's a very, very sweet uh, moment uh, when the Bulldogs beat the GWS in the 2016 preliminary final. I uh, was cheering very hard in Melbourne, of all things. Unfortunately, not up in Sydney, or maybe fortunately, who knows. But um, ended up being a magnificent September. But that's a story for another day. And um, then the Giants, they got so close. They ended up getting into that 2019 grand final. Um, there was a lot of history between the Bulldogs and the Giants, whether it was uh, Toby Green, the Luke Dowhouse kick, uh, Nick Haynes, Bond. There was, a, there was a whole bunch of stuff. But I found myself thinking over the last year, this is a team that's exciting to watch. Was it the coaching change to Adam Kingsley that made them more palatable? I mean, Leon Cameron, Bulldogs champ as well. But there's something that's really like, oh, I mean, you look back to the the grand final year for them and all of a sudden the the memes came for the song and again it was like oh I could kind of sense that they might not be the worst thing in the entire world but this year I found myself almost jumping on board the orange tsunami and it feels dirty to say as a as a you know a really card carrying red white and blue bulldogs member so at the end of the day I need you to help me to help me I don't even hate Toby Green what is going on am I getting mellow in my old age I don't know but Help me to help me. Are the Giants actually the good guys? Or have I just got too soft to my old age? I'd love to hear from you. Let me know in the comments below and DMs and, and feedback because I'm, I'm questioning my own judgment now. Help me to help me. Well, I guess with that conundrum in the books, that brings us to the end of the second episode here of Hey Pal, I'm Coachable. So... Thanks again, Powers, for listening along. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, if you've got any feedback, please, good, bad, indifferent, please be kind, but constructive criticism's good. Um, unfortunately, I can't say criticism, so give me some constructive criticism about that. Oh, no, it's all good. Anywho, um, please, yeah, hit me up, whether it's in the comments below, whether it's a, a rating, um, you know, hopefully five stars if you believe that it's done the job, but uh, across all the 
podcast platforms. It's really appreciated. Helps all the boffins and the algorithms and all that sort of stuff. So please, if you feel as though it's been earned, um, shoot us some stars and things like that. And yeah, again, hit us up with a message. Let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, or, you know, you listen along and you're happy that it's part of your podcast rotation. And in that vein, subscribe, please. Again, all this um, helps if you're enjoying what I'm doing here. So again, on Instagram, it's Hey Pal Uncoachable. On X, Twitter, Hey Pal Pod, because Twitter doesn't like long handles. But that's a podcast for another day. But um, of course, yeah, or the Gmail, Hey Pal, I'm mailable at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you same time, same place next week. And uh, I tell you what, we've got a doozy of a guess. We might even prepare for trouble. And make it double. See you next week. Mm-hmm.